So um, I'll begin with a couple of announcements. Uh, the first one is a reminder that um, Gil is offering uh, a drop-in group uh, for full retreatants tonight, and it's 7.15 Pacific. Um, so that should be a treat. And then a technical announcement. Some of you may have noticed that uh, Zoom gave us a new feature today to help us respect our privacy. So a very nice, loud voice now lets us know when a recording begins and ends. So um, our support team doesn't think there's an option to turn this off at this time. But I know it's not a problem for any of us because it's just sound arising and passing. So, so the, the topic today is concentration or samadhi. In the process of liberative dependent origination, we begin with dukkha. That's a condition for the entire path, the first noble truth. Dukkha exists. When we meet dukkha with a wholesome attention, with a friendly acknowledgement, yes, dukkha, I see you, it leads to a confidence and trust in ourselves and in the practice. This trust turn, in turn leads to gladness and delight. And as mindfulness gets steadier, it leads to joy. As joy permeates our being, it creates the conditions for tranquility which conditions a feeling of widespread happiness, which further leads us into more sublime, refined state of concentration or samadhi. <clears throat> there are two Pali words that refer to the process of bringing the attention to the breath and sustaining it there or to the meditation object. When the mind drifts, the two words are vitaka and vichara. Vitaka is often translated as applied attention and vichara as sustained attention. When the mind drifts, vitaka is the quality that brings it back to the breath. Vichara is the tension that keeps it there. This applied attention and sustained attention require a wise effort. The quality of the effort we apply as we practice affects our ability to deeply settle the mind. When being mindful of breathing, I tend to think of that quality as caressing the breath. When we caress someone we love, 
the caress is an expression of our affection. And we caress them in a loving, undistracted way. On retreats, some teachers have referred to practicing with the taka and the chara as aiming and connecting. We can gently aim the attention to the breath or the object and connect with it. When we caress the breath, it's a connection. There's an intimacy. This affectionate or kind way of being with ourselves allows us to settle deeper and deeper. This continuity of our mindfulness allows the hindrances to be quieted. It allows for the rising of this beautiful state of samadhi. When the mind is unsettled or just partially settled, we do this over and over again. We bring the mind back from our many journeys. As the mind settles, it naturally starts to stay in the present more easily. It's a little bit like riding a bicycle where you pedal uphill for a while We put in the right effort to quiet the hindrances and to maintain wholesome mind states. And then we can coast downhill for a while. Coasting happens all by itself when the wholesome mind states have developed to the point where they maintain themselves and the practice becomes effortless. We just stay present. We're not working at it anymore. The more we settle the mind, the less and less there is to do. Our only job is to see clearly what's there. We can let go of everything else. Let go of what we think should happen or what we should be seeing, or what we should be feeling, or what insight we should be having, or that we should be having an insight. And this effortlessness, this deep, deep letting go, relaxation, leads the mind into joy, tranquility, a deep happiness which deepens into the state of samadhi. Even though samadhi is usually translated as concentration, I prefer the word samadhi because in today's world, concentration is associated with tension. Even the word attention has tension in it. It's associated with trying really hard, with a narrow laser focus, 
even furrowing our brows and striving. But the state of samadhi is relaxed, luminous, spacious state, deeply contented and peaceful. As the mind gradually settles from the exuberance of joy into tranquility, it deepens into samadhi, progressively getting more and more still, more and more quiet. The mind is balanced, poised. It's a profoundly beautiful, peaceful state. The Buddha described samadhi as a peaceful mountain lake that is fed by an underground spring. It doesn't require anything from the outside. There are no rivers or lakes to feed it. In the same way, samadhi is complete. It's all coming from within. We don't need anything else. In the Pali Canon, the Buddha's mind, right before his enlightenment, and I'll quote one translation, his mind was concentrated, purified, bright, unblemished, rid of defilement, Pliant, malleable, steady, and imperturbable. And it was with this mind state that he investigated the problem of human suffering and came up with the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. that we tend to think of our minds as a single being in the control tower in charge of things. The mind can be sometimes seen more as having committee members with different agendas. And we can feel like we're at cross-purpose with ourselves. We say we want something, but we do something else. I think you're familiar with, I told my attention to stay there. Uh, but another member wanted to fantasize. There's a description in the suttas of a person catching six animals from different habitats and binding them with a strong rope and tying a knot in the middle. Then they would chase them, and each of the animals would pull towards their own habitat. And when each of them became exhausted, they would surrender to the strongest one, and off they would go towards that habitat. 
In the same way, when mindfulness is not established, we're pulled by the committee member with the loudest voice. But when the mind is unified, the committee members go on vacation. There's no one to push things away or to try to get what they want. The quality of equanimity is predominant. When awareness is unified, nothing is left out. It's not an exclusiveness. We're not excluding the the world. We're including everything. The pervasive well-being that arises with samadhi allows us to meet whatever is coming up without reactivity, without conflict. The mind is balanced and connected with the flow of changing experience. We can develop this uninterrupted mindfulness with a steady, wholesome attention on a meditation object, like the breath, with a wider moment-to-moment attention to the flow of experience. It requires putting aside all our concerns, all our desires. It requires a deep sincerity but it arises when the conditions are right. We can't make it happen. It's like the metaphor that Gil used yesterday. Happiness is like a butterfly. The more you chase it, the more it will evade you. But if you notice the other things around you, you will gently come and sit on your shoulder. It's possible to develop a certain level of concentration with a tight focus through an act of will by pushing things away. But when we do that, the concentration that develops can be brittle and easily broken. On one retreat, I got quite concentrated using this very, very forceful attitude though in some ways I felt amazingly expanded and and, uh, uh, it's very pleasurable in an altered state. I also had a pressure in my head the size of an orange. It was just there, solid orange. And, And though my body was vibrating and it was wonderful, after three days of this and no sleep, and that pressure was still there. I began to wonder, and this is, I really did wonder if I had a tumor in my head. It was so solid. It was just, oh, there's got to be something there. Um, And that's when I began to pay attention to the quality of my effort in concentrating. We can attend the mind, attend to the mind as as if we're walking into a sacred temple. 
there's an honoring of the space, the quality of softness, of receptivity, of allowing the space in the temple to touch us. We're not there to, for- to do anything, to force anything, but to receive, to allow, to open. A deep samadhi can't be forced, but we can plant the seeds with with our attention and water them with our presence, creating the conditions for it to rise. In the process of developing samadhi, we get caught by recurring distractions. And as we mindfully, kindly, hopefully, set set them down again and again, we gain insight into how the mind works. And if we look really carefully, we can notice that at each state of practice, the reason the mind won't settle deeper is because of sub-attachment. Personally, one of the bigger obstacles for me in developing samadhi was desire to have the experience of samadhi, the attachment to attaining samadhi. It took me away from a mind that clearly saw what was here, what was present, and kept me perpetually in a wanting mind. I saw a cartoon uh, that I liked. There's a school of fish swimming deep in the ocean. And one of the fish says, Are we there yet? At, um, uh, at a retreat at IMS in Massachusetts, uh, they had this uh, special meditation room which had really comfortable, easy chairs. You know, had room for about 15, 20 people. And some of us, after the long hours of sitting in the main meditation hall, um, and our bodies could no longer hold us up, we'd continue our practice there, sitting on these really comfy, easy chairs. I was in the habit of getting up really early before anyone showed up and using my favorite easy chair, because there was one I really liked. And uh, I would do all my uh, extra long sits there each day, each morning. I was really committed to getting to samadhi. And on this particular day, very strong pity and joy arose. I was just excited. Waves of bliss were starting. I was almost there. And someone came into the room and decided to open the window. But to reach it, they had to lean over my chair and jostle my body. And there it went, all of my effort. I got lost in my judgment and anger about how insensitive they were. How unmindful could they be? And then that followed with a cascade of disappointment and discouragement and, and probably self-pity. 
it didn't even occur to me at the time to notice that I was clinging. And that my suffering wasn't caused by the person who opened the window. But it was caused by my clinging to getting what I wanted. After a while, you know, I, I sat with that and, and, and really began to consider that it's more important to let go of, of clinging than attaining samadhi. Letting go of, of wanting to attain anything allows us to relax. It allows things to fruit as they're ready to fruit, to trust that they'll ripen in their own time. That's really what dependent origination is all about. We can't force a flower to bud, a flower bud to open. We can't force it, we can't rip open the petals before it's time. And we can continue to feed it with nutrients. The quality of patience is essential in this practice. It sometimes requires unpleasant effort to be with something challenging. And to my surprise, impatience is really challenging sometimes. To be with something uncomfortable. When we surrender to patience, it brings calm and tranquility and contentment which are the precursors for samadhi. It took quite a bit of time in my own practice uh, to stop trying to force samadhi by sheer will and effort. I heard the teachings many, many times about how um, contentment was necessary for these deeper states. But um, I'd go, yeah, 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 but I'm going to try really hard anyways. <laughs> um, so when we're, when we're caught in striving, it can be really helpful to remember what Suzuki Roshi taught. What we're doing here is so important we better not take it too seriously. And that's the balance. That's the balance. <clears throat> Wholesome concentration is dependent on wholesome intention. The same activity we do can be wholesome or not wholesome. For instance, you can make a friend a meal because you're just a sheer love of appreciating them. Or you can make it out of duty. Well, they cooked for me last time. I better better make something good. Um, Sometimes we have a mix of wholesome and wholesome and unwholesome intentions at the same time. There's no need to be judgmental of any wholesome intentions. 
a few weeks um, into long retreat, <clears throat> after talk about intention, we had a question and answer period. And this very sincere young man stood up. He was troubled by his own intentions. Now, he really wanted to be pure. He really wanted to have pure intentions. He said on one hand that he'd been practicing for liberation and really sincerely practicing for liberation. But on the other hand, there was a voice in his head that said, if I'm enlightened, then will people finally like me? So mixed intentions. So many times in my own practice, I've been quite settled, quite peaceful, and the desire to experience something better and more sublime would arise. A leaning forward, an unconscious shift in my intention from wanting, opening to what is, to letting go, to wanting. Sometimes we might forget or not value the power of letting go of what we judge as small clingings. That each time we mindfully let go of a simple tension, we're developing a mind that lets go more easily. The recurring letting go of these small clingings predisposes the mind towards freedom to completely letting go. This path of gradual awakening is built out of recurring small moments of mindfulness, recurring small moments of letting go, each one special, each one valuable. This moment of not clinging is a moment of freedom. The unity of mind in samadhi is deeply satisfying. The deep sense of well-being pervades every part of us. It can be very healing. But the purpose of this practice is not for the bliss of samadhi, but to see clearly. And the state of samadhi offers us an extraordinary clarity. This clarity allows us to see things how they really are, not through the filter of our emotions, of what we want or don't want, or through our ideas about life. It's this effortless awareness that allows the clarity and peacefulness to see the three characteristics, the nature of experience. In the boundless space of samadhi, we can see the flow of experience, the impermanence of all that arises and passes away. The dissatisfaction inherent in everything that changes. 
and their lack of permanent or unchanging identity of self. I'd like to um, end with a poem from the suttas called An Auspicious Day. The Buddha said, don't chase the past or long for the future. The past is left behind The future is not yet reached. Right where it is, have insight into whatever phenomena is present. Not faltering and not agitated. By knowing it, one develops the mind. Ardently do what should be done today knows death may come tomorrow. There is no bargaining with mortality and its great army. Whoever dwells thus ardent, active day and night, is, says the peaceful sage, one who has an auspicious day. Let's sit a few minutes.
And may you have an auspicious day.